from D. James Kennedy Ministries. This is Kennedy Classics. Kennedy Classics. Hello, I'm Frank Wright, president of D. James Kennedy Ministries, where we are standing for truth and defending your freedom. Welcome to Kennedy Classics. Make sure to visit our ministry website for a wide variety of outstanding content, including articles, video, audio, and print resources. You can find it all at djkm.org. One of God's greatest gifts given to us is the ability to have memories. We sometimes live such hectic and chaotic lives, it's good to stop and take a moment to remember where we've come from. For a lot of us, our hometown holds a special place in our hearts. Our hometown is typically where we spent most of the foundational years of our lives. Our hometowns are a big reason why we root for our favorite sports teams. We should celebrate where we're from and our hometown history and culture. It is also important to remember where our ancestors came from and the hard work and sacrifices that they made in order for us to be where we are today. Looking at where we are from often reminds us who we are. Those who go on to great success are reminded to not forget where they came from because to do so would be to forget who they really are. Sadly, that's exactly what has happened in America in recent years. We have forgotten where we came from. Indeed, America was founded as a Christian nation. And as a result, we are forgetting who we are. Dr. D. James Kennedy reminds us of our foundational truths with this message, Remember Our Foundations. Our scripture lesson This morning is taken from the 8th chapter of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy, of course, means the second law. Chapter 8, we shall begin our reading with the 6th verse. May we hear the inspired word of the living God. Therefore, Thou shalt keep the commandments of the Lord thy God to walk in his ways and to fear him. For the Lord God bringeth thee into a good land, a land of brooks, of water, of fountains, and depths that spring out of valleys and hills, a land of wheat and barley and vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of oil, olive, and honey. A land wherein thou shalt eat bread without scarceness. Thou shalt not lack anything in it. A land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills thou mayest dig brass. When thou hast eaten and art full, then thou shalt bless the Lord thy God for the good land which he hath given thee. Beware that thou forget not the Lord thy God in not keeping his commandments and his judgments and his statutes, which I command thee this day, lest when thou hast eaten and art full and hast built goodly houses and dwelt therein, 
And when thy herds and thy flocks multiply, and thy silver and thy gold is multiplied, and all that thou hast is multiplied, then thy heart be lifted up, and thou forget the Lord thy God, which brought thee forth out of the land of Egypt from the house of bondage, who led thee through that great and terrible wilderness, wherein were fiery serpents and scorpions and drought, where there was no water, who brought thee forth water out of the rock of flint, who fed thee in the wilderness with manna, which thy fathers knew not, that he might humble thee and he might prove thee to do thee good at thy latter end. And thou say in thine heart, My power and the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth, but thou shalt remember the Lord thy God. For it is he that giveth thee power to get wealth, that he may establish his covenant, which he sware unto thy fathers as it is this day. And it shall be, if thou do at all forget the Lord thy God, and walk after other gods, and serve them, and worship them, I testify against you this day that ye shall surely perish as the nations which the Lord destroyeth before your face, so shall ye perish, because ye would not be obedient unto the voice of the Lord your God. And may God speak to us today through this his holy word, and may his name ever be praised. Amen. This is a time for national reflection and remembrance which, however, is very difficult to do because, you see, as a nation, we are suffering a severe case of national amnesia. As President Woodrow Wilson said, if we do not remember who we were, how can we know what we are supposed to be? And we don't remember. You recall George Orwell's famous novel, 1984, and under a totalitarian regime run by Big Brother, who was, of course, very concerned for the welfare of the people as he systematically stripped from them every vestige of their freedom. There was in the Department of Truth something that went on 24 hours a day. It was the rewriting of history. So that, for example, he says, quote, Oceania is at war with Eurasia. It has always been at war with Eurasia. When the truth is, the war just started five minutes ago, and a half hour before they had declared, Oceania is at peace with Eurasia. It has always been at peace with Eurasia. Historical revisionism. Is such a thing happening in this country? Dear friends, it has happened. For example, one history textbook used in our schools today tells about the pilgrims landing at Plymouth and the Mayflower Compact. And they quote the Mayflower Compact, which says, as you all know, it says that we have undertaken a voyage to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Now, that's what it says, isn't it? 
That's what it says according to one of the textbooks used in our schools. But that's not what it really says. You see, they omitted several phrases without even ellipsis. And here they are. In the name of God, amen. That's where it starts. And this is how it continues. Having undertaken for the glory of God and the advancement of the Christian faith, a journey to plant the first colony in the northern parts of Virginia. Did they denude it of all spiritual meaning? Absolutely. Totally. Now, who were the pilgrims? Well, as one of our history books tells us, and this is the sum and substance of what they tell the students about the pilgrims, the pilgrims were people who liked to travel. And so they came over here and set up that great institution known as the Travel Agency. (laughs) And that takes care of the history of the pilgrims. Who were they, actually? The coming of the pilgrims to this country, I remember somebody said, well, what in the world has the church to do with America? Well, I'll tell you what what it had to do with America. America, the voyage of the pilgrims, was very simply this. It was a church relocation project. Plymouth Plantation was simply an extension of the church in Scrooby, England. That's what it was. And then what about the Puritans? The pilgrims came in 1620. Ten years later, the Puritans came. They, like the pilgrims, were members of the Anglican Church. But they who believed in purity of doctrine and purity of life were trying to reform the Anglican Church from within. They finally despaired of that and decided to go to America. But whether they were those that stayed in the church or those that separated from the church, they were all members of the same church. And by the way, the doctrine of the pilgrims and the doctrine of the Puritan was the doctrine of that humble reformer from Lake Leman in Switzerland, John Calvin. And so, whether it is pilgrims or Puritans or Huguenots or Covenanters or Reformed or whatever they may be called and denominationally Presbyterians or Congregationalists or Baptists or Anglicans or or Episcopalians, they were all at one time the followers of the teachings of John Calvin. That's why church historians from virtually every country are in agreement that the founder of America was John Calvin. Von Rank, the great historian of Germany, said that John Calvin is the virtual founder of America. Bancroft, the American historian himself, not a Calvinist, none of these are, said that John Calvin is the father of America. Taine and others in France said that it is John Calvin whose disciples came to America. As late as 1776, 150 years after the pilgrims came, still two-thirds of all of the people in America were followers of the teachings of John Calvin. Did you ever learn that in school? I guarantee that you did not. Folks, systematically, 
the religious character of our nation has been expurgated from our textbooks and expunged from our national memory. But Daniel Webster said, finally, let us not forget the religious character of our nation, because if that is forgotten, everything else will collapse, and we will have the kind of immorality sweeping across this nation today like a vile flood that we see on every side, every kind of vice and sin imaginable. Our fathers were brought hither by their veneration for the Christian religion. They journeyed in its light and labored in its hope. They sought to incorporate its principles with the elements of their society and to diffuse its influence through all their institutions, civil, political, or literary. Did you notice that? These were not pietists who felt that religion ought to be kept in the sanctuary. The principles of religion should be diffused through all of the institutions of our society. Let us cherish these sentiments and extend their influence still more widely in the full conviction that it is the happiest society which partakes in the highest degree of the mild and peaceful spirit of Christianity. Thus spake Daniel Webster. Well, this was the nature of this nation. And what has happened? How have we sunk so far? Well, dear friends, in 1947, a man by the name of Leo Pfeffer, an ACLU lawyer, knowing that there was a case before the Supreme Court called the Everson case, wrote an opinion. And in this opinion, he inserted the phrase, a wall of separation between church and state. That had never been in our jurisprudence before. He placed the opinion on the desk of Hugo Black. He read it and liked it. He was a very liberal judge. He ran it up the flagpole, and by five to four, it passed. And for the first time in 1947, the idea of separation of church and state entered into our law. Now, this has nothing to do with our Constitution. There are many people who think that it does. They think that it's part of the Constitution, part of the Bill of Rights, that it's, it's the First Amendment. It is not true. As I've often said, the First Amendment fails to mention a wall, it fails to mention separation, it fails to mention the church, and it fails to mention the state. Other than that, they were pretty close. It is, has been disastrous after having created this baseball bat of a wall of separation, the ACLU for over 50 years has used it to beat Christians into submission and to silence them in the public square so that we constantly hear that. Now, you'll notice that what the First Amendment says, and note the subject of both clauses, Congress shall make no law respecting an establishment of religion, or, parenthesis, Congress shall make no law prohibiting the free exercise thereof. The subject of both clauses is Congress. What does it say about what you can do? What does it say about what I can do? What does it say about what we can do? Nothing at all. Absolutely nothing. It talks about what the Congress can't do. You see, the whole purpose of the Bill of Rights, and this again is probably not taught in our schools, 
The whole purpose of this was to tie down this great Leviathan, or to change the metaphor, this, this Gulliver that now had been created upon our shores of the federal government, which some of the founders believed was a great threat to the liberties of the people, which is the reason they came here. Washington, for example, Patrick Henry, another, and others refused to sign the Constitution of the United States unless there was a guarantee that there would be a Bill of Rights protecting the rights of the people from the government. And they got it. All of the first ten amendments are one-way streets that only restrain the government. It says nothing about restraining churches, Christians, Jews, Muslims, anybody else, pastors, anything like that. It only says what the Congress can't do. But you see, it's a vague, rather amorphous phrase, separation of church and state. When a little boy in the fifth grade was reading his Bible at recess and a teacher snatched him up by the ear and hauled him into the principal's office, she took the Bible and threw it in the wastebasket and said, that's where garbage like that belongs. You are violating the principle of separation of church and state. Well, now, he didn't know all about that. What was he going to say? His parents didn't probably understand it either. But if she had, instead of saying the separation of church and state, actually quoted the First Amendment rather than that perversion of it, and when someone uses that phrase, you ought to say that's not in the Constitution or the Bill of Rights. That's a perversion of the First Amendment. That ought to get their attention. You've got a conversation going now. Suppose she had said, you are violating the First Amendment which says... Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. Johnny was probably a pretty smart boy. He might have raised his hand and said, but principal, in case you hadn't noticed, I'm not the Congress. Do you see? It's been turned around completely. The First Amendment restrains the Congress, not the kid. but we've got it completely backward. Where does it come from? It came, of course, from that letter by Thomas Jefferson in 1802 to the Danbury Baptists. They were concerned that the new constitution might allow the government to come in and foul up their worship. So he wrote them a letter and said that the Congress had erected this wall of separation between church and state so that they could never come in and do anything. It was an infelicitous phrase. Because, you see, the First Amendment restrained only the Congress. A wall restrains and impedes people on both sides equally. You remember a couple of years ago we had a National Day of Prayer and Christians were meeting as they have for many, many years in the community room in, in the uh, city hall. And the president of the Florida chapter of the ACLU wrote a column printed by our newspaper that said this was unthinkable, unconscionable that we had prayer, oh, in a public building. He would have said, oh, dear God, but he probably didn't believe in God. Such a thing as this could not be allowed to happen. It violates the principle of the separation of church and state. And people say, uh, uh. I guess so. Touchy. Can't have that. When are we going to wake up? 
Well, let's see what Jefferson really meant by separation of church and state. The Sunday after he wrote the letter to the Danbury Baptist, which, by the way, if you read the whole letter, means nothing like that at all. The Sunday afterward, and keep in mind, this fellow said, we can't even have a prayer in a public building. Jefferson went to church. In fact, he went to the same church virtually every single Sunday for the next seven-plus years of his tour as president of the United States. Where did he go to church? He went to the biggest church in America, biggest congregation in America. Where was that? It held worship services every Sunday in, in the chambers of the House of Representatives in the Capitol building in Washington, D.C. A whole worship service. And I remember one time we had one of the military bands here, and I get up and prayed at the end of the concert, and somebody complained that this violated the separation of church and state. Well, after a while, Jefferson wasn't satisfied with the service. He thought it could be better. Needed some better music. So he got the, the Marine Band stationed in Washington to come over and play every Sunday for the worship service held in the Capitol building of the United States. Is that what you're taught in school? I don't think so. Folks, when our religious freedom disappears, all other freedoms follow soon after. Let us remember who we were that we might know who we ought to be. May we pray. Father, open our ears and our hearts to thy truth. We pray that you'll bring this nation back to thyself. Restore it to the godly foundation upon which it was built. May we be the courageous and knowledgeable men and women, such as those who founded this country, who are willing to stand up and be counted for what they believe, to speak out and let their voices be heard. May we not be dumb sheep that are herded by unbelievers and secularists and atheists of every stripe in our country today. And this incredible patrimony of religious freedom be stolen right out from under our noses. We pray it in Christ's name. Amen. One of the best ways we can ensure religious liberty for ourselves and for our grandchildren and great-grandchildren is to share the gospel. If every Christian led one person to Jesus Christ this year, it would transform our nation. Perhaps you're watching right now and you realize that you don't have a personal relationship with the living God, but you'd like to. Well, it's my pleasure to tell you that heaven, eternity with God, is a free gift. We can't earn it and we don't deserve it because of our sin, so we have a problem. But God solved our problem by sending His own Son, Jesus, to die and pay the penalty for our sins, yours and mine. And He offers us heaven and life to the full now as a free gift. And we receive this gift by faith. If you'd like to receive this gift, we can go to God together in prayer right now. Simply pray, Lord Jesus Christ, I know that I'm a sinner and I have wronged you in so many ways. Please forgive me. 
I place my trust in you and receive the free gift of eternal life you offer. Thank you. And it's in your name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that simple prayer, God heard you and he's already answered it. So to help you move forward from here and begin to grow in your new faith, we want to send you Beginning Again. It contains the book of John and the New Testament, and I suggest you read a chapter a day. You'll find a Q&A section to help answer some of the questions you may have. It's our gift to you when you write to our address or call our toll-free number and ask for Beginning Again. And may God richly bless you. Because our nation has forgotten its foundation, it has forgotten who we are. Founded upon religious liberty, America is now a place where Christian truth is being suppressed. And those who oppose unbiblical practices like same-sex marriage are sometimes punished by government. Until recently, the Internet was at least a bastion of free speech for all. But now, even that is changing. Christians and conservatives are now being censored online. Huge tech companies run by far-left progressives who are hostile to Christianity increasingly control the flow of information and are using that control to discriminate specifically against Christians and conservatives. Do you know how you're being affected and what you can do to restore freedom? Well, we have developed a brand new resource to help you with this. It's the new book, Just Off the Presses, The New Gatekeepers, Censoring Christians in the Digital Age. This book shows you how internet monoliths like Google, Amazon, Facebook, and YouTube are actively silencing Christians. Freedom lost, my friends, is seldom regained. So it's vital that you know about this imminent threat and what you can do about it. We will send you the new gatekeepers as our thanks for your generous donation to the ongoing work of this ministry. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339, or call toll-free 888-332-3069, or go online to djkm. And if you can give a generous donation of $50 or more, we will also include a two-DVD set of Dr. Kennedy's messages called Thieves of Liberty. In these key messages, he shows how there is an ongoing battle between truth and falsehood, between good and evil. And he equips you with the spiritual tools you need for the battle we see playing out all around our nation. Your generous donation will also help us to finish producing and airing nationally our documentary on this issue in July. If Christians can be silenced on the internet, we can be censored anywhere. Take a stand for freedom by giving us a generous donation, and we'll thank you for it by sending you our new book, The New Gatekeepers. Censoring Christians in the Digital Age, just off the press. And if you are able to give us a donation of $50 or more, we will also include the two-DVD set of Dr. D. James Kennedy's messages, Thieves of Liberty. Simply write to us at D. James Kennedy Ministries, 
Box 11164, Fort Lauderdale, Florida, 33339. Or call toll-free 888-332-3069. Or you can go online to djkm.org. I'm Frank Wright. Thanks for joining us for this edition of Kennedy Classics. We'll see you next time. Today's program is available on DVD for your gift to this ministry of any amount. Please call, write, or log on to our website today. This has been a production of D. James Kennedy Ministries.